This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 86 of Go To Grandma. This show is airing on Saturday, April the 1st, but we're not fooling around today. I'm your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth, as we delve into all things that today's grandparents are facing. Sometimes on this show, we are quite factual, and usually we have a lot of fun. But today, we are going to maybe get a little bit emotional. Don't worry, I'm not going to cry, but I am going to get smart about why we might sometimes, as I speak with business leader and author Carolyn Stern about emotional intelligence. This is a term you are likely familiar with, but if not, Carolyn is going to tell us what it means and how it is relevant in all of our lives, regardless of our age, plus how it can help us bridge a generational gap or two in the case of grandparents. One of the most emotional things we can go through is, of course, the death of our parents. But along with the emotions come the logistics of potentially dealing with selling their homes once they're gone. There's the legal, the financial, the transactional, It's a lot. Real estate broker Sharon Caddy has helped many families sort through the emotional minefield of selling the family home and how the right broker and team of supporters can help you through it. Plus, Sharon's a grandma, so of course I have to ask her about that part of her life as well. Speaking of highs and lows, the Canadian dollar is low and rates are high. And yes, while that segue might have been awkward, what isn't is the discussion I'm having on our Take 5 with RBC interview today as I chat with Alain Forget about the potential to leverage your U.S. property and take advantage of what's happening in the market right now. Talking with the folks at RBC always makes me feel smarter. Does coffee make you more intelligent and less emotional? I'm going to find out as I pour myself a cup and get ready to get smarter as I chat with Carolyn Stern next. Carolyn Stern is the author of The Emotionally Strong Leader and the president and CEO of EI Experience, an executive leadership development and emotional intelligence training firm. She is a certified emotional intelligence and leadership development expert, professional speaker, and university professor whose emotional intelligence courses and modules have been adopted at top universities in North America. Carolyn lives and works in Vancouver, B.C. Good morning, Carolyn Stern. Thanks so much for being on GoToGrandma this morning. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start our chat here. I've got your book in front of me, which is called The Emotionally Strong Leader. It's fantastic. It not only talks about emotional intelligence and what that is, but takes us through some workshops, some exercises at the end. But I wanted to start with why it's so hard to deal with our emotions. I'm going to read something that you wrote. The hard truth is emotions can be messy, annoying, and confusing. And yes, some emotions can be challenging to handle. Therefore, many of us choose to numb, ignore, or distract ourselves to avoid experiencing our feelings. That's not good, is it, Carolyn? No. And really what emotional intelligence is, is just learning to be intelligent about your emotions and being in the driver's seat of your feelings. And for me, just personally, you know, my emotions ran amok more than half my life. And it wasn't until, you know, probably for the last 20 years that I started to research this. And I was kind of working with executives. I was sick and tired of hearing people say that having emotions should cause shame and expressing in the workplace, you know, was a sign of weakness. And there's nothing that could be further from the truth. I mean, really what I think it is, is we need to start learning 
to understand what we're feeling, why we're feeling what we're feeling, and then learn how to respond appropriately. But let's be honest. I mean, I've been a university professor for 25 years. We're not teaching this in schools. So we're graduating these kids. And then they get sent to the office, and they don't have an emotional education. And I don't, I'm sure you also didn't have one, because I certainly didn't. No, I didn't. And it's a great point. And it's not, you know, emotional intelligence. I think first off, we think, well, cry in the office or at work. But when we're not suggesting that per se, but we're saying expressing emotion in your whole life is a good thing. Right. And being emotional in the workplace is unprofessional. But having emotions is not. Mm. And I think the key really is, is to remember that why is it okay to smile at our desks and have passion and excitement, but we need to cry behind closed doors? I mean, really what emotional intelligence is, is learning what our emotions mean, because our emotions mean different things. Let's take frustration and anger. We feel those things several times throughout the week. But frustration stems from unmet expectations, whereas anger stems from an injustice or an unfairness. And I don't know about you, Kathy, but how many times have you been frustrated but accidentally shown it as anger? Right. Right? Many times. I have four kids, Carolyn, so many times. (laughs) Well, exactly. And then the problem is your kids see your behaviors and what psychologists call this attribution bias. They attribute, oh, mom must be angry because she's stomping around the house or yelling. But in fact, she's actually frustrated because we haven't met her expectations. So I think the bottom line is we all, I don't care how young or how old, we need to start paying attention to why, what we're feeling, why we're feeling what we're feeling, so what triggered that emotion, and then let's come up with a con- making a conscious choice. If I'm frustrated, how can I let my kids know that I'm frustrated in a respectful, professional, and kind manner? Right. And you talk about, you know, moms and kids or dads and kids as well. That generation gap is felt obviously between kids and parents, but also grandparents and grandkids. Can emotional intelligence or having emotional intelligence help us to bridge generational gaps? Absolutely. In my opinion, the two biggest emotional intelligent competencies that can help manage the generation gap is empathy and flexibility. And what is empathy? Empathy is kind of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, being attuned into how others feel and caring about those feelings as much as we do our own. And that's critical in building strong interpersonal relationships because empathy allows us to feel connected to others, learning to understand why other people do the things they do. Let's use me as an example. So I live, or I have to stop saying I live with my mother. My (laughs) mother now lives with me. And I could write a book on how to live with my mother in my You should. Yes. And let's be honest, I work all day from the house. I'm on the phone coaching, training clients all day long. The last thing I want to do is continue to talk in the evening. But my mother, who's been home all day Mm -hmm. and is waiting for me to talk, right? So I have to realize that she's been quiet all day waiting to have some interaction with me. Even though I just want to chill out and not have a conversation, I need to have empathy, put myself in her shoes and realize, you know, she's been waiting her whole day Mm -hmm. to have some social interaction and acknowledge that. The other one, the other competency is flexibility, right? Being tolerant of different people and accommodating different people 
learning to have an open mind and approach things just because, you know, I always say you are not the standard to which everything is judged. Yeah, no, that's great. Right? Just because it's okay to you doesn't mean it's going to be okay for everyone else. So I think the two competencies specifically is if we can have empathy, putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes, and then flexing our style in order to communicate in the other person's language so that they can hear what you're saying. And really having those deeper conversations, those more emotional, I call them inner iceberg conversations, because what's above the surface is just the tip of the iceberg, what people see in us, right, our communications and actions. But what's below the surface is our motivators, our stressors, our assumptions, our beliefs, our feelings. All of that, like, creates is the reason it colors our behaviors and actions. And if we don't have those inner conversations and getting to the heart of the matter about what's behind your communications, then we're just kind of talking at a surface level. Yeah. And you talk a lot in the book about increasing your interpersonal relationships, that the tools that you can use being willing to open up, share about yourself, being open-minded, all of these things are asking questions, scheduling time to build your relationships, things we really have to work at. Absolutely. And just like building a muscle in the gym, Kathy, we all have these emotional muscles. So maybe right now, one of your listeners is saying, oh, well, I'm not very flexible. Okay. Well, if your flexibility muscle is a bit underutilized, then we need to do the exercises in the gym or in our life to build that muscle. For me, for instance, I am too flexible, which in the book I talk about, it's the dark side of flexibility. I'm too accommodating. So I always put everyone's needs before my own, Yep. right? And so I think that it's a balance. It's a balance about figuring out, okay, where am I? Where do I stand? Am I, am I low in flexibility? Am I kind of in the middle? Am I high? Or am I on the dark side? Well, if you're low in flexibility, you're very rigid and, and set in your ways. If you're high in flexibility, you're able to adapt to changes and the unfamiliar and uncertainty. And if you're too high on the dark side, like myself, you over-accommodate, putting everyone's needs before your own. And so the, once you figure out where you are, then you can decide at the gym, <laughs> do I need to stop working out that muscle? Right? My flexibility, maybe I need to be a little bit more stringent. And for those that have an underutilized flexibility muscle, maybe I need to be a little bit more flexible, be a bit more spontaneous. Don't be so set in my way. Yeah, there's so much for us to work through. And the book is such a great jumping off point, including the workshops, as I mentioned. It is called The Emotionally Strong Leader. It's Carolyn Stern. Please check it out. And you can find Carolyn online at Carolyn Stern, of course, but also the eiexperience.com website, carolynstern.com. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Carolyn. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Sharon Caddy is familiar to many from her 30-year career in broadcasting, but six years ago, she went back to school and she's now a broker with Remax Realty Specialists. Sharon works with people at every point in their real estate journey, but has found a real love of helping families in later life choices in real estate. From empty nesters looking to right-size to a more manageable home to families helping their parents move to retirement living to families managing the sale of the family home after the death of parents Sharon loves helping make the often difficult and emotional path as smooth as possible. Good morning, Sharon Caddy in studio today. It's so nice to see you. It's great to see you too. We go back a long way. Don't we? Yeah, and this is really fun. And now we're grandmas. Yes, both of us. We have switched you know, careers, professions a little bit. Mm-hmm. You are a real estate broker now. I am a real estate broker. I've been doing it about five years now, right off the tail end of the broadcasting career. Amazing. And what you've done recently is really start to specialize, right, in certain markets. Yeah, you know, it has a lot to do with where I am in my own life. And 
and the people that I know closely where they are in their own life. And I've really started to hone in on families who are in the situation of having to sell the family home. And this can be in one of a couple of ways. It can be because you're helping to sell a parent's home. They're either going to you know, downsize or they're, or they're going into assisted living or whatever, or in many cases as well, dealing with the estate. Right. And that's a whole different sort of animal, isn't it, in terms Mm -hmm. of your parents have lived in their family home all their life and maybe they pass away. And where do you start? It's a huge thing to deal with both work-wise and emotionally. And that's the most important part is understanding that it's a huge emotional component. So you're going to the emotional and then logistical kicks in. So so what are some of the things you may not realize you need to have in place before you sell that family home? Okay, the main things you have to do is, first of all, take a step back and realize and and accept that you're not selling your own home. So there are things, even if your parents have been very open with you and shared things with you over the years, there's many things you don't know with regard to the home. So you're going to have to take a look at what's actually happening. Number one, I always suggest whether you are a power of attorney helping a family member, a parent or other, or whether you are the executor is make sure you have a connection with the lawyer that's been dealt with Mm -hmm. because there will be things that need to be taken care of. I've had clients in the past where, yeah, power of attorney was put in place when their parent was much younger, but the documents were so old, it was really wise to revisit all of that. I had my own personal experience with my dad. He passed away a few years ago, but five years before that, he decided maybe it was smart to talk to the lawyer and take a look at where things stand. And he checked and they checked title on his house. Interesting. And as it turned out, he'd paid off the house in the early 90s. But the mortgage was never taken off title. Interesting. And yeah. when they w- and I thought, well, how hard is that? Then get the lawyer to take it off title. The lender didn't exist anymore. Oh, no. So there had to be investigation and who absorbed right. the lender. And it was a long process. It took months. So you don't want to be dealing with that when suddenly you're tasked as a child or whatever, dealing with taking care of the home. And you talk about it taking months. So how do you go about establishing that timeline and how yes. do you get it all done? Yes. Yeah. So starting at the very beginning when you meet with, for example, I I meet with a client, I find out how much they actually know. And maybe all of this legal stuff's in order. Okay. But even if it's in order and if it's an estate, you have to go through probate and you could be dealing with a few months or more, depending on how complicated everything is. So that conversation with the lawyer is essential. And then we have to actually tackle the home itself. And it's more than just saying, hey, going to sell the house. Let's just clean it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, again, it comes down to it's more than just a task of cleaning and decluttering. It's emotional. And this is where you have to understand that there will be some costs involved. And there's also going to be a time factor. And there's also going to have to, you have to come to terms that you need to accept help. Right. And we have had Downsizing Diva on the show. We have people to help with decluttering. Mm -hmm. That's one part of it. The other part of it might be, well, the family home's been the same since 1975. We love it. It's homey and familiar. It's ours, but it's not what today's buyers want. So, you know, the message I try to tell people, and this is not just for people doing this job, but even if you're downsizing yourself, is I always tell my clients, you know, we are dealing with the average person who's going to buy this home because it's larger. It's probably an upsizer. They're probably between the ages of about, I'd say, maybe 35 and 48. And they love Instagram and Pinterest. And (laughs) they're on their phones looking at these pictures. And even though once they move in, and I can tell you this for 99% of the time, once they've moved in and I go take them a gift a month in, say, hey, the house doesn't look like it did in the pictures. But that's what they want to buy. So part of the job is to make the house look as appealing as possible to the people who are looking at these pictures on their phones 24 hours a day. 
So that can mean, you know, paint. It can mean light fixtures. It can mean obviously removing furniture, maybe putting in some some staging furniture, some updated furniture. Because my big job is to get whether it's for your parents to fund their retirement Mm -hmm. or whether it's for the estate, is to get as much money from this investment that your parents have lovingly cared for their entire lives. So we have to balance that budget though, right? How much we want to get versus how much do we want to invest? Like don't put in a $100,000 kitchen. No. And there's (laughs) another tip I like to tell people is that it's sometimes a very good investment to do a home inspection. You think, I'm not Mm. buying the house. But if you do it in advance, because unless your parents kept meticulous records of every receipt for the roof and the windows and the door and the garage door and whatever, you don't know when it was really done. And the worst, one of the things that'll cost you the most money in a sale is if the buyer's agent says, well, how old are the windows? And I say, I don't know. Right. You don't want to give them an I don't know. You can say, I don't have receipts on that, but we had it inspected. And according to the home inspector, they look like they've been done in the past X number of years and they have a lot of life left. That's the kind of answer you want to be able to give. I like that. Yeah. Getting the home inspection done when you're selling. I hadn't thought about it's, that. You know, I know it's hard to think about spending money and it'll cost yeah. you about $500, but that's well spent because an I don't know could cost you thousands. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what do you do, Sharon? You're the broker. What do you do to make families feel comfortable as they get this process started? And what do you like best about helping families through this event? Well, I like to bring this down to there are two kinds of realtors and both are very effective. There's a transactional Mm -hmm. realtor and it's like quick and easy, ABC, we're done, bye-bye, thanks a lot. Or I'm a relational realtor, so I like to actually get to know the people I'm dealing with, understand who they are, what their lives are like, how important this property is to them. I love working with these people because you basically get welcomed into the family Mm -hmm. and helping them to understand that all their emotions are legitimate Mm -hmm. and they're valid and they're important and they need to experience them. I walk them through every step and it goes from the first meeting through the task and it can get very emotional and can sometimes very upsetting to everyone involved. But I stay with them throughout through the actual closing day, which is incredibly emotional. Mm -hmm. And then afterward. I yeah. love staying in touch with people afterward and how are your, if, you know, if you're selling your parents home and they've moved to their, whatever their retirement place is, how are they doing? And I, you know, I love coming in to visit and see them. It, to me, it's the greatest thing because after 30 years in one career moving to this, this is not a transactional career for me. This is, I'm building my friend base. I love it. And you're also Grandma Sharon. I'm which a grandma. I and we can find Grandma Sharon at SharonCaddy.com and that's Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, Caddy is C-A-D-D-Y. Of course, you're on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram. Everywhere. Thanks so much for coming and helping oh, us through this. thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Alain Forget has been working for Royal Bank Financial Group for over 42 years with sales leadership roles in Canada, the Caribbean, and the U.S. He is passionate about helping Canadians purchase U.S. homes and works closely with consumers, real estate professionals, and partners to assist Canadian buyers in the U.S., Alain is a licensed real estate agent in Florida and has his NARCIPS designation as a certified international property specialist. Good morning, Alain Forger. Thanks so much for coming back on our Take 5 with RBC interview this week. I think you have some updates and considerations to share with our audience on U.S. home equity for Canadian owners of a U.S. property. Looking forward to you sharing that. Gabby, always, uh, you know, certainly I do and always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And as we know, currently, Canadians who like spending their time in the U.S. face a double whammy. The Canadian dollar is declining as interest rates increase, affecting mortgage payments. Doing a Canadian to U.S. conversion right now, as the U.S. at around 37% premium, 
is much higher than the Canadian, which means that the loonie isn't going nearly as far as Canadians would like. So over the last year, the Canadian dollar has gradually weakened against the U.S. dollar, largely because of rising interest rates south of the border, as the U.S. Federal Reserve has been trying to combat inflation by increasing rates. Its currency has become even more attractive for to foreign investors. Canada's economy is, of course, we know is much smaller, so it's really dollar can keep up with the U.S. dollar gather strength. The unfortunate result for, you know, boomers or snowbirds with cross-border lifestyle who own a U.S. property, there are some potential silver lining, though, for to help until the economic factors sell it up. So how can Canadian U.S. property owners access this U.S. cash? Yes, with, of course, such economic uncertainty, uh, Cathy, it's more important than ever to be strategic about your cash sources. If you own property in the U.S., you likely have several financial obligations that must be handled in U.S. dollars. So if you already own a home in the U.S., especially in the Keystone Bell states like Florida, Arizona, California, you might have more equity than you realize because over the last three years, home values in these states have increased uh, somewhere between 30, 40, and even more at some areas, which creates a huge amount of home equity. And with such value increase, there are some rising costs, obviously, like mm-hmm. property taxes, home insurance, plus overall increase in the cost of living. But the silver lining could be leveraging home equity as one of the solutions to help offset rising costs, especially if you don't already have those U.S. dollars on hand. So if it comes down to the question of whether to sell or use the home's equity, I'm going to leverage your expertise. What are your thoughts on these options? Yes, certainly. Though I mean, a lot of Canadians, as we know, bought in U.S. properties in, in cash around 20, 2010, 12, around that, when the Canadian dollar was around or at par with the U.S. dollars. So such a value increase built built equity over time. So you got really, Canadians have two options here. The cash out by selling your U.S. property, which unfortunately, you know, has consequences such as, of course, paying capital gain taxes on both sides of the border, and obviously no more property under the sun for next uh, winter. So to get, you know, soften your strategy by done, you know, downsides like paying capital, uh, I mean, uh, having a lock, sorry, to access U.S. dollar and, and convert into Canadian dollar and take advantage of the current weaker Canadian dollar. So a HELOC is a non-taxable event, So, but I still strongly recommend or suggest to seek advice with professional financial advisor from the Canadian, you know, or a planner from Canada before making any decision on that side. So the most common way to tap into your U.S. home equity is through a HELOC. Working much like a regular line of credit, you can borrow money up and down up to the credit limit whenever you want. And when you pay it back, you, you can still borrow it again. So while interest rates uh, have risen, of course, in the HELOC over the past year, even if the rate is around 7% for a HELOC, it fluctuates. And in the interest rate, you know, it more than offset the conversion rates and fees to convert Canadian dollar to U.S. So home equity line is a highly effective and efficient and cost-effective financing options to Canadians to access U.S. funds. On the flip side, of course, to boost your Canadian cash flow, you may come out ahead on the conversion using U.S. dollar and bring back 
to Canadian dollar using this uh, USA lodge. Right, and they have uh, other advantages, the home equity line of credit, like convenience, flexible repayment options, and of course, the potential to raise your U.S. credit score. We always run out of space for this great information, Elaine, but thank you so much for sharing today. And if we want some more information, of course, we can go to rbcbank.com. And there's actually a website and a video at U.S. Home Equity Solutions for Canadians at RBC Bank. That's correct, Kathy. Thank you for having me. And as a national residential lender for Canadians, RBC Bank is here in the U.S. to help Canadians with such self-leveraged cross-border strategy. Thank you so much, Elaine. My pleasure. The degree of one's emotions varies inversely with one's knowledge of the facts. Bertrand Russell. Hey, we're grandparents. We know things. We also have emotions, especially when it comes to our grandkids. And that's what this show is all about. Thanks to Carolyn for advice on how we can emotionally connect with our grandkids, no matter how many generations separate us. And to Sharon for helping us to separate from our beloved family homes. Next week on GoToGrandma, we are going to be retiring, but not be shy about it. Have you thought about your retirement and what's next? Author, journalist, and real estate broker Josie Vogels decided that Mexico was the perfect spot for her next chapter. And she's going to join me on the line from Merida, Mexico, to talk about what it's been like to retire there. Maybe you're planning your second or third or fourth chapter closer to home, but out of your home. I'm going to be speaking with Karen Burt from Schlegel Village's long-term and retirement homes about what you could expect if you moved into one of their 13 retirement villages in Ontario and get into why their Main Street small village feel has attracted so many people to their unique and activity-filled retirement homes. Our Take 5 with RBC interview looks at how you might invest in foreign property as part of your retirement plan. What do you need to know before you take the plunge? Lots to plan and think about as we move into episode number 87 next week. I hope you'll join me next Saturday morning at 7.30 on Zoomer Radio, as always. If you're looking for more grandparent inspiration, there are 86 other episodes to listen to, and you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks for joining in. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter, at Kathy Buckworth. Or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.